Well, good morning. As Pastor Tim said, my name is Shane Drury. I am the director of high school ministries here at Harvest Bible Chapel. And just a few months ago, I had the great privilege of speaking at a a large youth retreat in Oklahoma. And uh, it was a long, late Friday night and a long day of activity on Saturday. And we got to uh, the third message of the weekend that I was delivering on Saturday night. And it was kind of the, the climax of the weekend, as uh, Saturday, night, Saturday night often is at retreats like this. And I was standing before uh, hundreds of students proclaiming the message of the greatness of God and the power of the gospel message. And I got really kind of zoned in to that message and and was really trying to bring uh, the the weekend to a climax uh, by the power of God's word. And as I was, was preaching and as I was delivering the word, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this student to my right stand up and begin to walk towards the front to the stage. And it was really the most intense part of the weekend and the high point of the weekend. And I'm trying to stay focused on what I'm saying, but the student starts walking towards me as I'm talking. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what is this kid doing? And he walks up onto the stage. He takes three steps up onto the stage. And there's this box of shirts sitting there. And he picks up a shirt out of the box and holds it up to himself to kind of see if it fits him. All the while, I'm continuing to preach the word and try not to figure out what in the world this kid is doing. Well, he turns around and goes back to a seat. I'm kind of like, whew. But he doesn't sit down. He turns back around and he begins to walk back up towards me. And I'm thinking to myself, someone please grab this kid as I'm trying to continue on and, and, and preaching the word. And finally, it gets to the point where I realize I have lost everyone. Everyone is distracted by this young man, and I just need to address the issue. So I turned to this young man who was directly to my right, about to walk up on the stage again. And I said, bro, if you could sit down, that would be great. And he looked back at me with the most stone-cold stare I have ever seen. I mean, it was like he was staring straight through me. And he just stared me down. And it was a really awkward moment. And someone in the back stood up and yelled, I think he's having a seizure. And just panic broke out in the room. And and screams and just pandemonium. And then this little girl sitting up in the front, who I later found out was his little sister, yelled out, I think he's sleepwalking. (laughs) And sure enough... This kid was sleepwalking. And so one of the adults walked up to the front and grabbed this guy and put his arm around him and kind of walked him to the back of the room. And I thought I had lost everyone before, but man, did I lose them then. I mean, they were cracking up laughing. And somehow I had to pull everyone back together and finish the last five minutes, uh, the most important five minutes of the whole entire weekend. And so after people laughed for a while, I, I kind of brought everyone back together. And I said, I've spoken to a lot of students. And I know I've put a lot of students to sleep, but I've never made anyone sleepwalk. That was crazy. 
and, and everyone laughed and it kind of just relieved a, a little bit of the awkwardness and the, 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 the pressure of the room. And I, I just dove right back in and, and got back on track. And amazingly, um, by the grace of God, there were several students uh, that were there in that room that night whose eternities were changed as they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I think back to that young man and what really stands out to me about him and that experience is that the greatness of God was being spoken to him and the greatness of God was before him. But he missed it because he was sleepwalking. And I think to myself, how often is how, how often is that you and I? The greatness of God is before us. But we get so busy and so distracted with things in life. It's like we're sleepwalking and we miss his great love and his great wisdom and his great power. My hope today, uh, by the power of the word of God, is that you would be woken up to the greatness of our almighty God and that you would leave here more in awe of who he is. As Pastor Tim said, we're in a series called Life Altering Prayer. It is the second week of the series. Uh, last week, Pastor uh, Steve spoke powerfully on the love of God, and we were reminded that he desires what's best for us, and that we can never be separated from his love if we are his children. Today, we're focusing on the wisdom of God. And next week, Pastor Tim uh, will speak on the power of God. And really, our hope with this series as we consider the, the love of God and the wisdom of God and the power of God, is that we would indeed be more in awe of who He is and that it would draw us to our knees and that we would worship and glorify Him and seek Him in all that we do. And here's why I think it's so important that we hear this today. I'm about to test your zoological skills. All right, that's not where you thought I was going to go with that, is it? I'm about to test your zoological skills. The question I want to ask you to consider is, what is the largest animal that has ever lived on the face of the earth? Largest animal to ever live on the face of the earth. Feel free to lean over to your neighbor and share your answer with them if you so desire. Largest animal to ever live on the face of the earth. All right, we'll see how many of you got it right. The correct answer is the blue whale. The blue whale. All right, some of you are rejoicing and high-fiving, I see. That's great. Very good. That's right, the blue whale. It is larger than any dinosaur that ever lived. And it's really incredible how big the blue whale is. For example, the average blue whale is 100 feet long. Now, that doesn't really seem necessarily that big at first, but here's some things that really blow you away about how big the blue whale is. The average blue whale weighs 400,000 pounds. That is the equivalent of 10 SUVs. All right? The blood vessels of a blue whale in places are so large that a human could swim through them. The heart of a blue whale is the size of a car. And this one just blows me away. The tongue of a blue whale weighs the same as an elephant. That's crazy, isn't it? And so we all knew a blue whale was big. But when we gain knowledge about the blue whale, we see how truly big it really is. 
And I think the same could be said about God. Most of us walked in here today, and we know that God is big. But I know we don't know how truly big He is. And as our our knowledge and understanding of God grows, um, uh, God becomes greater to us, and God becomes bigger in our hearts. It reminds me of a great scene um, from Prince Caspian written by C.S. Lewis. And there's a little girl, and she's named Lucy, and um, she has an encounter with Aslan, the lion that represents Jesus, and she hasn't seen Aslan in a while. And she goes up to Aslan, and she says, Aslan, you are bigger. And Aslan replies to her, um, yes, Uh, Aslan replies to her, yes, I am bigger. And uh, Lucy replies uh, to Aslan, is it because you are older? And Aslan says, no, I am not older. But each year that you grow, you will find me bigger. And that is so true with us as well. As we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, he becomes greater to us year by year. And I think uh, just the words of A.W. Tozer could not be more true when he says, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if our God, if we perceive our God to be great and to be big, our worship of Him will be big and our trust in Him will be big. But if we perceive our God to be small, our worship of Him will be small. Our trust in Him will be small. And our fears and our problems will become big to us. As Oswald Chambers says, I think our greatest need as Christians is not to do more things, but it's to believe more things. So as we turn to Psalm 139 today, I hope that you will believe more about the greatness of God and that you will be more in awe of Him and see Him as greater uh, than you did when you walked in this morning. So, if you need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. Our ushers are coming forward to pass out Bibles. They will get one to you, and you can turn with me to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139... We see that David has a very high view of God. God is very big to David. And as a result, he is in awe of God. He trusts God. He praises God. And he follows God and goes to him in prayer. Starting off in in verse 1, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. O Lord, O Jehovah, O Almighty One, the great I Am, you have searched me and you know me. He's saying, Lord, you have penetrated the depths of my heart. And you know everything there is to know about me. And then in verse 2 through 4, he kind of gives us some examples, some details about how well indeed the Lord does know him. He says in verse 2, he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern discern my thoughts from afar. Um, Here David is saying, Lord, you know when I I sit and you know when I stand. And you know everything in between. You know all of my activities. And then the second part of the verse, he says, you discern my thoughts from afar. So not only, Lord, do you know my actions, but you know my thoughts as well. 
And then in verse 3, he says, You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. He's saying, Lord, you know the direction that my life is heading. You know everything there is to know about me. And then in verse 4, he says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He says, Lord, you know everything that I say. In fact, you know it before it even comes out of my mouth. And then in verse 5, he kind of gives a summarizing statement here. He says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And David says, Lord, you are before me. You are behind me. You are all around me. You've got me. And we see here um, that David is in awe of God because God is omniscient. God knows all things. And uh, the same that is said about David here could be said about us as well. He knows all things. He knows all things about you and he knows all things about me as well. And so he knows when you got out of bed this morning. He knows how many times you hit snooze before you got out of bed this morning. All right. He knows where you sat and where you ate breakfast. He knows where you're sitting now. He knows when you'll stand. He knows that many of you are thinking, why is the youth pastor guy preaching today? I wish it was Pastor Tim. (laughs) All right. He knows every word that you have said today. And he knows every word that you will say today. He knows the path that you are heading down. And he knows your needs. And he knows your hurts. And he knows your fears. He knows everything there is to know about you and I. And incredibly, he doesn't just know these things about us. He knows these things about the three plus billion people in the world today. And what's even more incredible to me is he doesn't just know these things. He knows all things, the mighty omniscient God. He knows things much bigger than this, and he knows things much smaller than this as well. So to consider God's knowledge, God's omniscience on a micro level, consider dust particles. All right. You know how sometimes you're in your house and uh, you see a light beam kind of coming through uh, a window in your house and you see all these little dust particles floating around in that line beam, light beam and you think to yourself, man, I'm breathing that. And yeah, you are. You're breathing that. Uh, well, incredibly, God uh, knows the exact location and he governs each and every dust particle that you see in that beam. And he knows and governs the exact location of every dust particle in the universe. Which takes us to our next question. Well, how far does his knowledge extend? How big is the universe? Well, we've already seen uh, how big a blue whale is, right? But really, a blue whale is small compared to the size of a mountain. And if we were to hollow out Mount Everest we would be able to fit somewhere around 25 million blue whales into Mount Everest. But Mount Everest is really just a speck on planet Earth. If we were able to hollow out planet Earth, uh, we would be able to uh, fit somewhere around um, 50 million Mount Everest inside the planet Earth. But planet Earth really is small in comparison to our sun. If we were able to hollow out the sun we would be able to fit one million Earths inside our sun. 
But really, our sun is small compared to other stars out there. As exa- uh, For example, uh, the superstar Antares. If we were able to hollow that out, we would be able to fit 50 million suns inside of Antares. But really, Antares is small compared to the Milky Way galaxy, which consists of billions of stars, many of them the size of Antares. And the Milky Way galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies that exist in the universe. And God knows the details of each and every one of those billions of stars that exist in our universe. And so we hear that and we ask ourselves, why did God make everything so big? And I think the answer that John Piper gives is so great. He says that God made uh, the universe so big and man so small to teach us something about himself. To teach us about his infinite greatness, his infinite wisdom, his infinite power, and his infinite beauty. And really the disproportion in size between us and the universe is a parable of the disproportion in size between us And our great and almighty God. And it is a vast understatement, my friends. This is how great and how big and how almighty our God is. But God doesn't do this to to make us feel insignificant. He does this to show us his greatness and to show us his glory. But make no mistake about it, it is not burdensome for our great God to contain and to maintain all of this knowledge as it is burdensome for us to acquire knowledge, right? Just a few years ago I was in seminary and I was taking these Greek classes so that I would be able to to learn how to read the New Testament in the original language that it was written in. And, And we had thousands of vocab words in Greek that we had to learn. So I made this ridiculous stack of note cards that I hold before you this morning. Thousands of note cards. And it was burdensome for me to try to memorize all of these note cards. And I would take them with me everywhere I went. So I would pull up to a red light and I would get out my note cards and I would start going through them as fast as I could. Or I would be walking through Walmart trying to grocery shop, flipping through my note cards. Walking through a parking lot, I'd be flipping through my note cards. It was a burden to try to... uh, contain and maintain all of this knowledge and information. But it requires no sweat from God to contain and maintain this information. For He is Almighty. And so here's the point. Here's the point with all this. God is great and He knows you. God is great and He knows you. So how should we respond to his greatness? How should we respond to his omniscience? Well, we look back to the passage to see how David responds. And then we should follow the example that he gives. Pick up with me in verse 6. He says, Such knowledge is too wonderful me. It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
David says, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't contain it. As David considers the omniscience of God, he is in awe of how great God is. And he realizes, I can't fully explain it, so I'm simply going to proclaim it. And where we fail to fully understand the greatness of God, it must lead us to be in awe of Him and worship Him. And so this week, this week, I want to encourage you, as Francis Chan has said, to stop praying. That's right, we're in a series about prayer. And I want to encourage you to stop praying. Before you go before the Lord and start rattling off requests to Him, stop. Take a moment to pause and to consider the greatness of our Almighty and omniscient God. And meditate upon His greatness. Allow yourself to be in awe of Him and blown away by how great He is. And then when you go to the Lord and lift your requests before Him, He will begin to become greater. And some of those uh, temporal struggles will begin to become smaller as you realize that He is in control. I just saw the, the power and the application uh, of this this week in my own house. Um, my wife and I were, were having a discussion about her going back to work. We recently had a baby, and, and, and so we were talking about the process of her returning to work. And honestly, it was kind of a stressful conversation as we were uh, trying to figure out the details of, of when and how and, and, and who would babysit and, and things like this. And it was kind of stressful. And so we took a break from the conversation and both went away and began to do a few different things. And uh, a few minutes later, she came back to me and, and she said, you know, I'm not stressed about this at all. And I was like, really, why is that? And she said, if my God knows and governs the exact location of every dust particle in the universe, then he will work this out for us. He knows. I don't know where she heard that. All right. Just saying. Basically what she was saying is, my God is big, and I can trust Him. And so this week, I encourage you, stop praying. Consider how big your God is, and trust Him, and go to Him with your requests. After David considers how God is omniscient, um, we see in in verse 7 that... He begins to um, consider how God is omnipresent, how God is everywhere. And we see that David trusts God, for he knows that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. This is what it says in verse 7. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? David is saying, The God who knows everything. The God who knows everything is everywhere. And here in these next few verses, Davis gives us some kind of exact opposites to show us that God is everywhere in between these things. And so in verse 8, he says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's saying, if I go as high as I can possibly go, God, you are there with me. And if I go as low as I can possibly go, God, you are there with me. And you are everywhere in between. And then in verse 9, he says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. 
He's saying, if I go as far west as I can possibly go, and far east as I can possibly go, Lord, you are there with me, and you are with me everywhere in between. And then in verse 11, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Every time I I hear this passage, or read this passage, I'm reminded of one of the darkest times in my life. My wife and I always wanted to have a big family. Um, But we began, before we had kids, we began to struggle with infertility. Now, I know you would never think that if you saw us walking through the halls today, okay? But before we had kids, we struggled with infertility. And weeks went by, and months went by, and years went by. And she was unable to get pregnant. And I got to be real honest with you, those were um, some, some dark times and some discouraging times uh, at moments through those years. Um, but I'll never forget, it was the Friday before Father's Day, several years ago. I was at middle school camp all week. It was a long, exhausting week. And I got home that Friday, and my wife was there waiting for me. And on the counter, she had a card and a little gift. And I thought to myself, oh, that's really sweet. She knew I was going to have a long week at middle school camp. And so she got me a little gift to kind of help encourage me and pick me up. And so I grabbed the card and I open it. And I'm, I'm reading it and it doesn't hit me at first. And then it does. I realize it's a Father's Day card. And I looked up at my wife and tears were streaming down her face. And for the first time in my life, I felt this feeling in my heart that I'd never felt before. And tears began to stream down my eyes. And we uh, embraced each other. And we thought to ourselves and, and said, God is so good. Well, a few weeks later, I was teaching our students on a Wednesday night, and I was in Luke chapter 8. It's a story that's familiar to you. It's a story of Jesus calming the storm. And uh, kind of the main point that I was trying to drive home with our students was at the beginning of the passage, before the disciples get into the boat with Jesus, he says to them, come, let us go to the other side. So they all get in the boat, and I'm sure the disciples thought that it was probably going to be a pretty smooth trip. And so they, they get into the voyage a little bit, and this massive storm breaks out. I, I love in, in the text, it, it's, it calls it a furious squall. And I always think to myself, man, wouldn't that be the perfect name for an 80s hairband? You know what I'm saying? Can't you just hear it? And now, opening for Starship, furious squall. Right? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But the passage says that this massive storm breaks out. This furious squall. And the disciples are doing everything they can to bail the water and get the ship under control. Many of them were experienced fishermen. But finally it got to the point where they realized it was out of their control. And they look over to Jesus. And he's sleeping on a cushion. And so they run over to Jesus, and really, they rebuke him. And they say, Jesus, don't you care about us? We're all about to die. And Jesus stands up, and first, he calms the storm. And then, 
he calms the storm in their hearts. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have little faith? And the point I was trying to drive home to our students that night was before the disciples got in the boat, Jesus told them that they would make it to the other side. So no matter what storm broke out when they were on that boat, they could trust in the promise of Jesus that he was with them and he would get them to the other side. Well, a few weeks after I taught in that passage, my wife and I led an adult mission trip uh, to southern Mexico, a very dark place. And we got on an airplane, and um, we thought it was going to be a a smooth trip. And um, a few days into the trip, a storm broke out, and uh, my wife began to have cramps and have some other symptoms. And a storm was, was breaking out inside of her. And so it got to the point where we knew we had to, to get her to a doctor. And so the missionaries that we were staying with, they drove us uh, to this hospital in, in southern Mexico in this dark city. And it was like they didn't know what to do with us. Um, we got there and they moved us from room to room to room to room. And finally, my, my memory is they moved us into this really dark room. And uh, they did an ultrasound. And none of the doctors could speak English. So we had no idea what they were saying. We had really no idea what, what was going on. And they finished the ultrasound. And they moved us to yet another room. And I was holding Brittany, and we were just waiting. And finally the doctor came in, and he began to speak to the missionaries uh, in Spanish. And we couldn't understand a word they were saying, but we could tell um, by the looks on their faces what had happened. But really, we, we knew in our hearts already what had happened. And so I looked down at my wife, and uh, again, tears are streaming down her face. And as her husband, I want to to comfort her and to care for her. But what do you say in a moment like that? And I just remember um, looking at her and saying very softly, He is with us, and He will get us to the other side. And she just kind of nodded at me. And uh, we rejoiced because of the goodness of God. And so this morning, I want to tell you um, that even in the darkness, he shines brightly. And as the word says, he will lead us and he will uphold us. And so no matter how dark the storm may be in your life, his light will shine bright, brightly. He is with you. He will get you to the other side. Trust in him. So this week... I want to encourage you, rather than just asking God to be with you in your prayer time before you walk out your door in the morning. He promises us that he will be with us. So rather than than simply doing that, continually throughout your day, ask God to help you to be aware of his presence in your life and ask him to lead you and to uphold you. Uh, one day, one way that I try to do this is, is by storing uh, verses in my heart and, and quoting them to myself often throughout the day. One of my favorites is Psalm 16.8. And the psalmist says, I set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
And so throughout my day, I'm continually asking the Lord, Lord, remind me of your presence. Remind me that you are at my right hand. And whatever happens this day, don't allow me to be shaken because the almighty God of the universe is with me and he is at my right hand. So I encourage you this week, as you go throughout your day, moment by moment, ask God to help you to be aware of his presence and to lead you in all that you do. And then after David has considered the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God, he begins to consider the omnipotence of God. And he looks back to the time um, that he was created by God. And we see that David begins to praise God as he considers how God is omnipotent and how God has created him and ordained his days. So read with me in in verse 13. David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. In my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David said, Lord, it was you that formed me in my mother's womb. And as David considered this, and as he considers how he was fearfully and wonderfully made, we see in verse 14 there that it compels him and turns his heart to praise our almighty, omnipotent God. And if we think about it, man, our bodies are amazing machines and very intricate and just really incredible. And just to consider a few things about how amazing our, our body is uh, to allow ourselves to be turned to praise as, as David was. Did you know that the, the average human has five million hair follicles? All right. Some of us have less than others. Okay. <laughs> All right. In fact, I think that the staff at Harvest is bringing the average down a little bit between Pastor Steve and I and and, and Pastor Mike. But five million hair follicles. And he knows each and every single one of those hairs. Uh, The human heart pumps every day 3,000 gallons of blood. So picture a gallon of milk in your fridge. Now picture 3,000 of those. That's how much your heart pumps every single day. And the one that always blows me away. The human body, each of us in this room, contains approximately 75 trillion cells. 75 trillion cells. A trillion is such a big number, like we really can't comprehend it. But, but one way to is by knowing that to count to a trillion would take you 32,000 years. So multiply that by 75, and that's how long it would take you to count all the cells in your body. I, I can't even fathom this. The, the knowledge is, is too high. I can't attain it. So like God, or like David, I will simply proclaim it and worship him as David did in this passage. And then in verse 15, we see that David kind of further meditates upon how God has created him and ordained his days for him. And says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so David says, Lord, it was you who formed me in my mother's womb. You were with me. Your eyes were upon me. There's never been a time in my life when I was uncared for or when you were not with me. From the moment of conception, you were with me and you knew me and you cared for me. And let there be no debate 
in our hearts, brothers and sisters, about when life begins. It's very clear from this passage, the authoritative word of God. At the moment of conception, life begins. And each and every life is created by God and is precious to God. And may we, as his followers, stand at the forefront of being a voice for the voiceless and speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves as he commands us in Proverbs 31. And we see, as David goes on in the passage, he begins once again to become in awe of God as he considers the thoughts God has for him. Verse 17, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. So David is considering how how God has planned each day of his life. And when he thinks about how many thoughts this would require, he is in awe of God. He says the thoughts must be more than the grains of sand on the earth. It must require trillions and trillions of thoughts from God to plan out the days of our lives. This is how much he cares for us. And see, this is so important to know this. It's not just that God um, knows all things and that God is everywhere and that God can do all things. Yes, that's true, but it's more than that. He doesn't just know about us. He knows us and he cares for us. And there is such a distinction here. See, I can can know about uh, what it means to be a father by picking up some books and reading books about being a father. I can know about it, and I can know about the the trials and the joys that come along with that. I can know about those things from reading a book. But until I actually become a father, it's when I become a father that I really know what it means to be a father and experience the joys and the trials of fatherhood. That's when I know what it means to become a father. And see, God just doesn't know about us. He knows us, for he became one of us. The great and almighty God, the one who created everything out of nothing, the one who uh, looks at at mountains and they become like anthills, the one who looks at oceans and they become like drops of water, our great and almighty God, he shrinks down, 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 down. To become the size of a few cells. And see, it is God in the womb of Mary that is that ball of multiplying cells that's being formed in her womb. And it's God in the womb of Mary whose eyes are developing so he can see in that newly formed embryo. And it is God whose hands and feet learned to touch for the first time as they are newly formed. And as Jesus walked on this earth, oh, how he was comforted by knowing that God knew when he sat and when he rose. And even in the dark night of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying, oh, how he was comforted to know that his father was with him and looking upon him as he prayed. See, Jesus came into this earth. Jesus was was born at the exact perfect time. And each of his days were written in his father's book. And, And every single one of them were for his goodwill and for his purpose. 
And even when the rejected Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless Jesus hung on the cross for our sin, rejected by the Jews, rejected by the Gentiles, rejected by his family, rejected by his closest friends, his disciples. He looks up to heaven. And for the first and only time in eternity, his fellowship with the Father, in some sense, is cut off. And he looks up to his Father and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would God allow this to happen to his Son? And why would Jesus knowingly and willingly endure this? It's because... He knows you. It's because He loves you. He became one of us to die for us. And He did this so you and I would never have to experience that loneliness that Jesus felt as He hung upon the cross if we are His sons and daughters. So I want to encourage you to remember this week that He has a plan for you. He knows what is best for you, and He knows how to provide that plan. In His infinite wisdom and greatness, He knows. He knows you. So as you pray this week, um, pray that you would follow the will of God, the plan of Him for your life, as you seek it in His Word. And seek first the kingdom of God in all that you do, all that you do, and trust that all other things would be added unto you. And finally here, to wrap us up quickly, um, we see in, in, in verse um, 19 that David takes what at first seems to be kind of a strange turn. But ultimately we see that David has a desire to follow God, for he is holy. This is what it says. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I got to tell you, to be honest with you, the first time I read this passage that I was preparing this week, I thought to myself... Man, I wish I could skip over a few of those verses. You know what I mean? There's some, there's some tough verses in there. But I was quickly uh, reminded and quickly rebuked that we must never skip over the holiness of God. Yes, He is loving. And yes, He is gracious. And yes, He is forgiving. But oh, how He is holy. And He is just. And He is righteous. And so here in this text, we see David making a declaration of his desire to be set apart from the enemies of God, that he may follow after the holy and mighty and everlasting God. And may we follow the example of David each day and go before the throne and ask God to examine our hearts and to reveal any impurities in our hearts. And may we follow Him and follow His lead, the holy and everlasting one. And and as we do this, may we remember 
Um, that He knows us. That He is with us. That He can do all things. And no matter what storms come into our lives, um, and even when it seems like He's asleep, He never oversleeps. He is always with us. And He will always take us to the other side. Pray with me.